For us, Trampoline, when we wrote it, we didn't think it was going to blow up by any means. We also didn't, you know, pin it as a an alternative track necessarily, but it's doing amazing on alternative radio. You know, it's one of our more left of center songs. So going forward, we're kind of like, um, we're just trying to write as much as possible. And we're not trying to write for any, for anything other than just doing our normal writing process. We're not trying to be like, this would be perfect on radio. Trying to be conscious of that for sure. But I feel like we're just still writing to write. What is up, everyone? I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro Podcast, where we bring you face-to-face with music artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, doctors, designers, and other interesting human beings in a show that dives deep into the story beyond the surface. If you love keeping up with Auxoro, we have a newsletter sent out twice a month with all of our latest content, as well as other articles, podcasts, books, and advice that we find helpful. I'm constantly scrounging the internet for things to improve my life, and I would love nothing more than to be able to share the things that have helped me with you. Go to auxoro.com slash aux, A-U-X, link in the podcast description to subscribe to the newsletter. Also, this episode is brought to you by The Aux, also the title of our newsletter, not to be confused with it. The Aux is a short-form podcast produced by Auxoro, bringing you a daily dose of uncensored wisdom to jumpstart your life. Five-minute episodes, no bullshit, no topic off-limits. We explore things like fashion, porn, relationships, meditation, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast by searching The Aux, A-U-X, wherever you listen to podcasts or by visiting the link in the description. This episode is a re-release of a previous episode with the band Shade. They have absolutely blown up since the release of their single Trampoline, and we've had a lot more people follow the podcast who may not have heard this conversation back when it was first put out. Chelsea, Max, and Spencer were a pleasure to talk to. We spoke about a lot of things that apply to everyday life, even outside of music, like pushing through your comfort zone, cooking, working weird jobs, being inspired by nature, and more. Without further ado, here's our wide-ranging conversation with Shade. So I thought a good place to start, or we'll see if it's a good place to start, an interesting place to start would be inspirations outside of music. And the reason why I ask about that is because as someone who writes articles pretty frequently and is doing podcasts, I find a lot of inspiration outside of the mediums that I'm releasing content in. So outside of like online articles outside of the long recorded interviews from, and I I find inspiration in other creative thinkers or music artists like yourselves or other, just other forms of creativity. Who are some of the people or, or thinkers or works of art that inspire you outside of music? Well, Chelsea and I just um, watched the Stephen Hawking movie and we've always been fans of fans of his work. But um, I mean, even the performance that 
was given in that movie was, was like incredible. Chelsea and yeah. I were, were just blown away. I would say um, for us, we're always reading and um, read a lot of books. Uh, specifically for me, I read a lot of like um, uh, mystery novels and fantasy novels. I'm currently reading the new Stephen King book. I just say like... Uh, yeah, like we're... Uh, the name of our, our band came from a uh, fantasy novel that we read called Name of the Wind. So I don't know. And, and our song Trampoline was kind of written and inspired by nature. So I don't know. We, we, we kind of, even the house that we live in is kind of surrounded by woods. We've got like a beautiful backyard with, you can, we've got like a great view of like trees and there's tons of like, like birds. And so for us, I think our big, our biggest inspiration comes from, from, from nature and, and, and traveling. And um, even when we're on tour, if we have a day off, we're, we're generally trying to find like somewhere out in, in the mountains or out, you know, out, out there that we can, can go to for inspiration. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of our, our, our main inspiration is just, is nature. So I saw that the name shade, like you were saying, comes from, I'm blanking out on the name of the novel, but it means a cloak of shadows. Yeah. Yeah. The whole fantasy fiction novel book environment must play a pretty big role with you guys in terms of creativity if it's something that you named your band after exactly yeah we know it's we know it's kind of nerdy but that was um that it did play a big role for the people that know it though they're probably like holy shit like is that (laughs) is that the uh the cloak from the book you're like oh my god it is we've gotten a couple people after shows that have like just a few that have been come up to us and just been like, Oh my God, like that's like you said, like, that's crazy that that's where you got the name of your band. Like I love that book. So yeah, someone actually brought a book to one of our shows and had me sign it. <laughs> it was hilarious. What is the name of the book, by the way, just so I can mention it. The name of the book is it's called, it's called wise man's fear, but it's part of this series. And so the first book is name of the wind. And the second book is wise man's fear. And, um, the third book has not been released yet. Yeah. It's a really interesting... So you're lying um, in wait for the, the exactly. end of the trilogy? Yeah. Yes. But it's a, it's a good um, combination of like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and like Game of Thrones-y kind of... But it's, it's a really good, good book. I've been looking for a new fiction series or just a, a fiction book to check out because... Lately, all I've been reading is nonfiction because I told myself I was going to try to learn as much as possible. But I feel like I, I have to throw in some fiction book. Not that you can't learn yeah. from fiction. It, it recharges you in creative ways that, that you can't from nonfiction. But I feel like I need to toss a fiction book in there every so often just to not bang my head against the wall while I'm <laughs> reading all the nonfiction books. I, I might need to start with the series. Yeah, we, what else do we, we read? We listen to a lot of audiobooks on the road. We've been kind of yeah. blanking right now, but there was one called uh, Seductive Poison that was really good. It was about, it was about <laughs> yeah. the, the uh, Brian, was it? Sounds the, like a murder mystery. Well, it was, it, this was nonfiction. It was, it was, uh, it was um, a firsthand account of the Jonestown massacre that, um, that oh, wow. have you heard of, have you heard of that with the, with the, with the Kool-Aid? With, yeah, I don't, I know the general details, but I, I don't know like the specifics of how it all happened. And I know that the guy kind of orchestrated 
yeah. exactly. some things behind it. That one was really good. That yeah. one was a that one yeah. was a cliffhanger. That was that was pretty interesting. But yeah, if you want a, fuch- a, a good fiction book, definitely check out Name of the Wind. It's a good. Yeah. And uh, if you have any nonfiction recommendations for us, we're we're all ears over here too. I do. The book I'm reading right now is called Sapiens, and it's an account of human history, but it goes into more of uh, the things that you wouldn't think about when you think of the relationships of early humans all the way up to today. It's part of a series that kind of goes past, present, and future. So this is the past of human history. And it's like a lot of the behaviors that are rooted in evolution that you may not even think of today because of how humans evolve through history and just things like the foods that we used to eat and how the agricultural revolution changed all of that and not always in positive ways and how that affected our behavior and how we've come to change over thousands of years, but in a lot of ways, how we're still the same. But like the stimulus of today is like, like you're basically having all of these stimuli of the technological world today, inhibiting on evolutionary progress that has been going on for thousands of years. So it's like very, a very interesting perspective. Wow. Interesting. Not to harp on this for too long, but there's uh no, it's okay. This is, this is why podcasts are cool. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. There's there's a book called, this is like a fiction, nonfiction kind of, I mean, it's called uh, Ishmael. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm, I have not. And it's kind of about, it's about the agricultural revolution and how like that changed how, the, just like the course of history and how humans interacted and how that impacted the planet and how that kind of was like the biggest turning point in um, the trajectory of, like uh, climate change and, and everything that's like happened since then, just like how that, you know, once we started kind of controlling our own food source, that just like led to like an explosion of like human population and, and everything. So, but it's, it's from the, it's na- like the narrator is like a, a gorilla. So it's, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> from the point of view of the gorilla, from the point of a, of a gorilla who's cool. like a really intelligent guru of a gorilla. And uh, <laughs> Stop <it>, saying gorilla. <laughs> But that's, that's okay. we also read this when we were like in college, so you know I'm not sure if it, it holds up. We get, let's you know it was it was definitely solid at the time, but it's, yeah. it might might be like a little silly for for the listeners out there now. That's what? Sure. No, that's I don't want to say that. I want to say that. <laughs> it sounds like something I would I would definitely check out, especially with the agricultural revolution stuff, like things that I had known nothing about going into this book, and how like wheat and corn were just a bunch of like part of a huge array of crops before the agricultural revolution. And then they kind of just overtook the planet and humans almost became kind of did become slaves to the crop in a lot of ways, instead of how it was before where hunter gatherers would just fight for what they see and and pick what they see and their diet was much more diverse. So I find that so very interesting. You should check out Ishmael then. I think, I think you would dig it. Let me know. Let us know what you think, but. And the the gorilla part sounds interesting. (laughs) The gorilla was. Gorilla is one of those words that, if you say enough times, it sounds like it's wrong. Yeah, oh my God. I feel yeah. like if I say that, gorilla, gorilla. like, am I saying that right? Gorilla. Yeah, gorilla. While we're on the topic of agriculture and nature, and you guys were talking about some of the ways that you connect to nature and it, it can recharge you creatively, are there any recent experiences or or standout moments that you had in nature that you can kind of see a direct tie back to the creative process where you went on a, a hike or you explored a certain area of the world and and later on you kind of felt like you were drawing on that experience. One that comes to mind is 
after our show, we were in a, a previous project before Shade and we had this really incredible show and it was like the biggest show we'd done. And um, after that, we we went on a three three or four day hiking trip with Chelsea and our younger brother um, is like a total, you know, he, he like went to school for outdoor adventure leadership and, you know, he's in living in San Francisco this summer and doing all these incredible outdoor, um, you know, retreats and, and uh, stuff like that. And, and he took us to the Dolly Sods in West Virginia and we went there with Chelsea and it was just like an incredible experience. Just what is the Dolly, Dolly Sods? <laughs> Dolly Sods. Dolly Sods. It's in West Virginia and it's, it's this super unique, it's in the Appalachian mountains, but it's like this plateau. It's this really unique um, space where the only other, the only, only other place apparently that has similar terrain like that is in Canada. And it's, it's just, just really strange, like spongy. Yeah. It's um, interesting because we did this, we, you know, we did this little trip and every place that we would hit every couple of hours, it'd be like a new terrain. We'd, being like a fern forest. The next terrain is like a very rocky, um, like open space. And, you know, the next place would be a creek. So that was really fun. And that was really interesting for us. Uh, we really try to get out as much as we can. This past tour was a bit crazy for us um, because now that we're on the radio, we had a lot of radio stops. So we didn't have as much free time as we generally do on tours which allows us to get outside and do hikes and do fun stuff like that. So recently we haven't had like a crazy outdoor experience other than um, every time we're home, we really try to walk uh, once a day. (laughs) Uh, We try to get outside and do like a nice walk. Like a nice stream that runs like pretty close to our house. And so, yeah. I love walking. I I started experimenting a little bit with some walking meditations Mm. that I found on Apple podcast, this guy named Sam Harris has an app called Waking Up. And yeah, he uh, he has a, a full podcast as well, which I recommend checking out too. He's, he's pretty great. And he has these walking meditations that are some of them are five, 10 minutes, but it's pretty crazy how when you're not thinking about stuff, there, there's so much like body sensations and visual things and cues you can pay attention to that you just never really notice or like the the even when it's not really windy if you're walking and pay close attention to it you could feel the wind in between your fingertips or like going kind of your hand slicing through the air if you're paying close enough attention which i had never it took me 25 years to realize <laughs> that you could feel that was sam harris talking you through that as well was that kind of the um, yeah exactly his voice his voice on its own is semi-psychedelic i think <laughs> he has he has that crazy type of voice that could put you in that sort of state. But yeah, just even even if his voice wasn't there, just paying attention to it and kind of uh like he's pointing you in the right direction. It, it it's pretty crazy what uh what I realize the things that I'm not paying attention to. Cause I'm always like thinking about something else or listening to music or which I still do. But I feel like it's definitely great to take those times and go walk around like you said and go explore nature. Yeah, we, yeah. we need to check out that podcast or uh is that an app or something? The waking is it? Yeah. So the waking up, uh, not to be like a Sam Harris sales yeah, pitch. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we've got friends that have done it. The waking up podcast. It, it used to be called Waking Up, and then I think he changed the name to Making Sense. So, but if you search Sam Harris in the iTunes Store, or Spotify, or wherever, you can 
you can find his full podcast. And I think he has a bunch of meditations out for free. And then the app is six bucks a month, which I think is worth it, at least for me, because I use it in the morning. He has different meditations that are, that he sends you each morning and they're about 10 to 12 minutes and they're different every single day. He's like updating it as you go. So he has 50 meditations that are kind of like the learning process. And then as you go, he sends you more and more of these meditations. And he says in the podcast, he's updating it in real time. So he's doing meditations on himself, testing them out oh, and then cool. updating the app with them. That's really cool. Nice. Cool. We're going to look that up for sure. For you guys, is there is there like a certain feeling or, or a time limit that you set on when you know how it's time to like get out of the house or like go explore and leave the studio because I've been struggling with similar sentiments where I, I'm trying to plan out better experiences in nature and like even simple things like going to walk outside. Is is there a certain feeling that you get or, or something that happens where you know it's time for that? Or do you have it planned out in the sense that, okay, every three months we're going to go to a different place, something like that? I feel like um, on a daily basis, I am probably the alarm clock telling everyone to get out of the studio because mm-hmm. you can kind of go down some rabbit holes, especially these two. I mean, if they could, they would be working all day long into the night. You know, it's they're one of those things where they get really focused on a song or working on a track or whatever, and they kind of um, get caught up in that. So sometimes I'll have to be like, guys, let's step outside and then come back and revisit this part or whatever. I think on like a weekly or monthly basis, it's a little more spur of the moment probably just because planning stuff right now is kind of crazy because we're just working on an album and, you know, we're traveling a lot and we're getting ready to do all these festivals. So we're trying to figure out how to revamp our show for a festival stage. So I think like this is busy season. So, you know, um, after the Bottle Rock Festival, like we have like about five days free. So we're trying to figure out if we can do something then. But it's more just really trying to focus on on writing and taking time every day to kind of go for a walk if, you, if we can. But it's just, you know, yeah. we just don't have a lot of time, which is a great, you know, it's a great problem. Yeah, to we're, have, not, we're sure. not complaining by any means, but yeah, that's kind of the vibe right yeah. now. Yeah. So you mentioned setting up for the festival and, and working through the sets. What are some of the biggest things that you would change from a headline show set to a festival set? It could, it could be the actual music or certain cues you put in or, or live instrumentation, things like that. What are the, the biggest changes that you have to make for over the summer? Um, I think it's honestly, uh, at least on my front, uh, performance-wise, you know, if you're playing a headlining show and you're in a club, the stage is only so big. But if you're playing, you know, a festival show, the stage is much bigger and you have a much bigger crowd to interact with. So I think that is something that will be challenging and fun for me to experiment with, trying to figure out how to work the entire stage and work much bigger crowd as opposed to like a small intimate club or, and these are people also that probably haven't heard our our music, you know, maybe not. And so like getting them to come in and stay interested. For me, that's probably the biggest thing that, that's going to be yeah. different. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's definitely true. And that being said, like we just had this incredible headline run and I think we've learned a lot just from playing these, these, these shows. 
and I think like we've we've learned what works and what doesn't, and it's kind of just small things. If you know, if this certain part of the song needs some work, or hey, I think this part could be really, you know, we could explore getting the crowd more involved with like this section of the song, whether that's like call and response or like you know just getting them like to put their hands in the air or something like yeah. that. You know, it's stuff like it's stuff like that that we're we're trying to figure out, but we're we're really excited and I feel like we're it's nice that we, we were coming off this this headline run and then going into festival season we feel pretty good about it Chelsea for you what are the biggest things that you think you improved on as a performer as the the frontline singer through this past headline tour could be like body movements or vocal related anything that you went into this tour wanting to kind of pin down and now looking back on it where you, you made improvements in those areas? Um, I feel like I definitely... I mean, when we started out, my stage performance was um, minimal at best. I, I might have even been like trying too hard to make it... To like make myself known on stage. And now I feel like I, I kind of have like a, um, a nice groove where I you know, come in and I'm kind of chill from the beginning and then get a little bit more amped up. I try to make it more of a story. <laughs> I sound like such a loser right now. But anyways, um, like going through like a, a storyline with the audience as opposed to just coming out and being like, I'm here, we're ready to have a good time. Like, yeah, let's fucking go. Yeah, exactly. Like making it more of a, um, an experience for people. I can't imagine then having to perform like that and be at your best every night on a headline tour, especially... When I'm doing podcasts, my older brother helps me out a lot with the audio. So a lot of times it's just me and him and whoever's the guest. And then if it's in person, we're backstage or something, maybe four or five people in a room. And so if there's like five people in a room, I'm like, damn, we got a crowd today. Like, right, right. <laughs> feeling, kind of, <laughs> feeling kind of nervous about this uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, but uh, that, that must be pretty nerve wracking to go through. It's definitely nerve wracking. We still get very nervous before shows, which is definitely a good thing, you know, because if you lose your nerves, then what are you doing? You know, you, you don't as, as feel passionate say, about something. As the saying goes, if you're, if you're not nervous before the shows, then, you know, you're probably not playing the type of shows you want to be playing. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it shows that you still care. Right. Yeah. That you want it to go well. Because if you don't have that feeling in your stomach that, oh, okay, I know I'm prepared, but I have no control over how people are going to react to it, then that probably means that you don't care how yeah. people yeah. are going to react. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this tour especially was so um, demanding for us just because we we really didn't have any off days and it was kind of a go, go, go situation. Halfway to, through the tour, we flew to Austin. We played Southwest, two shows at South by Southwest. And then we flew right back to Arizona, went back on our, on the tour. So it was definitely more physically demanding and emotionally demanding than any other tour that we've ever done. But it was, um, it was really incredible and interesting to see, you know, having your song on the radio really changes your schedule on these things. You're playing, you know, acoustic shows at radio stations during the day and then driving to shows, you know. So that's been really fun and really interesting. I lost my voice after the first, um, 
show of the tour. Yeah. Oh no. Which wasn't probably the you best. You kind of need that. Yeah. yeah. Best time. <laughs> just, just a little bit. I kind of like it. I'm sure the Max and Spencer AG with the backup singing. Yeah, Maybe they right, sang yeah. a little louder. It's your time to shine. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it was funny because our first show was in Buffalo and we drove to Buffalo and we were staying with um, some family that we, that these guys hadn't seen in a really long time. So it ended up being a situation where we were like, oh, so good yeah. to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Staying things up a little, a little crazy. Yes. Things now, I mean, like crazy for us is, is not crazy to anybody else, but um, yeah. it definitely got um, Just, yeah, exactly. late night vibes. And then I, we you were out past 8.30. We were out past <laughs> literally, yes. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And so we, we played the show in Buffalo and then we had a couple of days off until our Chicago show. And I just was like, guys, like, yeah. I'm having a little bit of a hard time talking right now. And so I didn't talk for like a day and a half. And then Max and Spencer and our tour manager and our photographer, they were like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to figure this out. And I was like, no, it's gonna be fine. Like, I'll be fine for the show tomorrow. And yeah, it was, it was like 10 o'clock at night the day before the Chicago show. And Chelsea hadn't been talking at all. And then, like, she like kind of was like singing under her breath and like trying to talk a little bit, just kind of test it out. And she was like, she was like, I think I'll be fine. We're like, yeah, yeah. And she like goes into her room and we're like, guys, this is not okay. <laughs> we like, we're, we were like on like, uh, what is it called? Like, on like LinkedIn, like trying to find like vocal, you know, vocal specialists in the area. At like 10 o'clock at night, we're like, oh my God. And, and the next on a day, Saturday, on a Saturday. So the next day, you know, it's Sunday. That reminds me, I was going to say, that reminds me of that SpongeBob meme where everything is burning around them, but the fish <laughs> is like, everything's fine. <laughs> that's <laughs> exactly. <great. laughs> that's kind of what was happening. I was really trying to, um, to put on a good face because, because this is, that was not a good start for me to already lose my voice. Yeah. But, but we ended up finding like a, a really amazing, doctor that came yeah. in and opened the office for us and, and gave me a steroid shot because my vocal cords were all inflamed and like mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. The, the way the way that that works if you're curious like, yeah yeah for sure you need the ster- so the steroid shot what well, was like in your it's shoulder a, it's an anti-inflammatory yeah the reason why you can't sing or why chelsea couldn't sing is the vocal cords get really inflamed so the steroid literally is like a like a it's like a serious dose of anti-inflammatory and we'll just so within, it was crazy within like four hours. Yeah, well, we had the show in like four hours and I was like, oh crap, this isn't going to be good. And then I'm backstage and I'm trying to do my warm ups, and I'm like, oh, this sounds so bad. I'm raspy right now. I'm going to kill it. And my brother lives in Chicago. So he came backstage and I was like, I can't talk to you. So you're just going to have to chill. But we ended up getting on stage. And it was one of our best shows. It was, it like was a miracle. In. Kicked in like yeah. seconds before I went on. I was going to say, so... I used to play baseball. I played all the way through college and stopped playing a couple of years ago. And I got a few cortisone shots or uh, two cortisone uh, shots. Uh, and uh, one of them was in my leg and another one was in my arm, like a few years apart. Cause I think you're supposed to take time off, but it's crazy how when it comes on, you just don't feel anything. Yeah. But it's not, a, it's not like a fix all cause yeah. this problem's still there, right, but it, right. it, it inflames it. I guess for the exactly. time yeah. being. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. You don't want to do it like often, often, but when, yeah. if you do it once in a while, it's, it's kind of like, okay. Is there anything you can do if you don't have access to a doctor? Say you're like already backstage and your voice starts to go. Is there any tips or tricks you can do to try to regain your voice? I mean, I, in that situation, 
I do not think so. Um, I have like a, a mini kind of a inhaler thing that's like a humidifier that I I use all the time. Um, I was drinking tea like nobody's business. I had like one beer over the the course of like three days, which you're not even supposed to drink um, when when that's the case. But if I was backstage an hour before and I didn't have a voice, I think I'd be really screwed. Especially because of a, a lot of our songs are like belters. I think what yeah. we what we learned was we learned the importance of vocal rest days. For and Chelsea. Chelsea and Chelsea's got to get sleep because I go to bed at nine <laughs> thirty. <laughs> I go to bed at nine thirty when we're home, so I've totally picked the wrong uh, profession. But I go to bed at nine thirty. So if I'm if I'm out late, it's a it's a deal. It's a whole yeah. it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we uh we figured out that the best thing to do was after shows, if possible. I mean. Because Chelsea used to, like for all the tours we've done previously, Chelsea would go out to the merch like by herself pretty much and sell all the merch and talk to the fans. And that was that was fine when we when, you, when you're opening, you know, you don't have to get to the venues until a lot later and then you're leaving earlier. So Chelsea was able to make that work. But on this tour, we quickly realized that, she, you know, uh, you know, either Spencer and I would go to the merch table and Chelsea would be on stage and say like, Hey guys, like I'll be at the merch table. You can come say hi, but I'm not going to be talking. I'll be on vocal rest. So Spence and I were like, tra- you know, like translating or whatever. We were just like splitting up the responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Next tour, we need um, a merch person. We're doing a lot, a lot of roles for we sure. We don't have like roadies obviously or anything. So, <laughs> you know, you just, I'm sure you would get a bunch of applications in a second. If you tweeted something out saying we're looking right. for job apps for a merch, a merch guy or gal. That is very true. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. I mean, do you think they would do it for free though? <laughs> Someone you could pay you could pay them in leftover merch. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe we could get like a merch person in each city, like to come and run merch for us. Oh, that would be great. Cause that's then you wouldn't have to idea. pay for travel. Yeah, and, yeah. that's a really good idea. And hotels and stuff. Be like, hey, if you come, we'll get you in the show for free and then you just have to run merch. Make sure they can run square. <laughs> yeah, we're like we're like building ideas here on the spring gate. Okay. I like that idea. Actually. I like that. So, say everything is going perfectly on the the production and the vocal end. There's no problems with losing voices or any faulty equipment. You still have that uncomfortability and nervousness before a show, like any human being. Is there anything you do to to work through that, or to kind of? I've heard people say become more comfortable with the uncomfortableness? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, now it's, it's not like a a scary thing anymore. It's just like nervous. You're anxious to get up there. You're anxious to see the crowd and kind of figure that out. We really try to do like a group huddle before we go on stage and try to like, uh, especially me, I'm, I can get like a, I can get really nervous. Like we played an event for Viacom a couple of days ago and it was, you know, very business in this beautiful space, it was like a lot of business people, you know, CEOs and executives. And like that MTV, was like the, one, that the most nervous. <laughs> um, I've been a really long time. I'm like about to go on and I'm like, guys, I don't even know. I guess because um, you don't know what to expect. You know, you play, you play at venues and stuff and then to play like kind of like more of a corporate event. Um, it's just as fun, but it's still makes us so nervous. But I think that just coming together before the show and just being so thankful and that we get to do this together and that we get to do this as our job. And this is just like 
a dream for us helps me calm down at least. Yeah. And just know that, you know, people are coming out to see us and it might be their first time seeing us and just giving them the experience because they're so excited. And so I think that's, that's a big um, relief for me. You know, they, they're, they're, our fans are not going to be, you know, dissecting everything that we do and being like, oh, she did something wrong here. Oh, you know, and I, I think that I kind of get caught up in my head about, you may have that one fan that's keeping a playbook that like sends you the DMs you like a checklist. Like, you know, Chelsea, like you could have done this year. Doing yeah. Right. Morning. Like a like, constructive criticism. After <laughs> the show. You uh, missed that note in this song. Yeah. But I think that just being just like making sure that we're all checking in with each other and just making sure that we all just remember. The, also another huge part of it is just having like good vibes the whole day. That's like so important. It's so important because we're on each other's nerves or something. It's literally impossible for Chelsea to like, she can't like if, if the vibes are bad, like she can't like, which is a great thing. Like she can't like <laughs> fake that everything's fine. Like she's just like, you, we really, we really do need to, that's why like on this last tour, we were just really trying, tried to, you know, you know, we didn't really, we tried to pack up as fast as we could so we can get to that next hotel and, and just tried to be healthy and, and all that stuff and, and ended up being this like amazing tour. But, I like that, especially uh, f- coming from the the baseball athletic world. And it's a pretty hyper-masculine environment when, now that I'm looking back on it. But I feel like a lot of my time was spent faking it or like trying to tell myself that everything was fine, even though I was feeling nervous. And no one would yeah. ever talk about the fact that they were nervous before games. Yeah, and It was kind of like this unspoken word. Like I, I, was, I was a pitcher. Huh. And it was like a thing, like, yo, don't talk to them before the game. Like, you're going to fuck them up. Like, you're going to mess yeah, them right. up. Or yeah. uh, if you even hinted at that you were kind of nervous going into the game, people would be like, yo, bro, like, what's wrong? Like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> like you're, you're not you're not 100% on all the time. And then it wasn't towards the end of my baseball career that I started joking around more before starts. And like, as long as I knew I put the preparation in, that was fine with me. I didn't have to go in to the game as this hard competitive dude, which I think goes against you uh, a lot of times. That's, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, do you, there's this on the UVA, you know, like March Madness is going on right now. I was just reading this article by, I forget his first name. It's like Guy. His last name is Guy. And um, he like, last year, like UVA, not to go on this long tangent, but UVA was ranked number one and they lost to the 16 seed and then in March Madness. And like, he like totally broke down and, and, um, you know, like afterwards he spent like a week just like, so, so depressed and kind of just nervous that he, and upset that he let all these people down and everything. And then he, he like released this like really long post on Facebook about like those emotions and stuff like that. Just like trying to like show people that even though you're like this incredible athlete that has all this praise and that like you still can experience these like super lows and there's like all this pressure and everything. And he just like opened up about that and that really kind of, I thought that was super cool. And yeah, so it kind of goes along with what you were just saying. Yeah, no, I, I have to, I have to check that out. I'm surprised I haven't seen that, but, uh, like a, a big part of my inspiration for when I started writing and then eventually doing the podcast was this publication called the Players Tribune, which is written from the perspective of athletes. So they write a lot of first person letters or videos on how they're feeling during things outside of sports or mental health issues. 
and relationship issues, things like that, where that was never really accessible, at least to me in the sports world, because most sports coverage is understandably so focused on the actual performance aspect. And so it was cool to see players being human and writing about like, oh, this guy gets paid $20 million a year, but he was really depressed last year and didn't think he was going to get through it. And, or just things like that, where people that I looked up to were admitting all these faults and flaws. And that was really powerful to me. And, and I didn't come across that until later in my career with Derek Jeter on the Yankees actually started the publication. Oh, wow. But yeah, when that nice. came out, kind of changed my perspective. And I was like, okay, well, if this, if this guy or if this girl is feeling this way before an athletic performance, then I guess it's okay if I feel that way and I don't have to hide it or I don't have to like pretend that I'm not feeling that way, if that makes sense. And I think as a, like, as a group, we're, um, we're very close and we, you know, we're very open about emotions and how we're feeling and we all live together. So definitely get on each other's nerves and you will definitely know when you do. We definitely have to be on a, on a good vibe to, to be productive and. It's nice having three of us too, though, because like, you know, if one of us is down, you know, usually the other one, like it's feeling better that day and can like, you know, pick you up and like, it, it kind of goes, uh, it is kind of yeah, nice. that feedback yeah. of positive yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Speaking of living together, Max and Spencer, you guys are identical twins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We hesitate because we never got tested. Yeah. <laughs> we never got like, there was never like a, uh, you know, like a test that was done, but I mean, mm-hmm. we, we think we are. We're, we looked, we looked like very, very identical when we were like, you passed the eye test. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So we're going to go. You don't really want to know at this point, you know, it's kind of like, we've always been identical twins from the beginning until yeah. this test, this test option came out and it's like 200 bucks and we're yeah. not trying to spend that money. It's not, not, you know, <laughs> it's a, and it could be wrong too. It could right. be a false, false negative right. or false right. positive. Okay. There you go. What are the biggest misconceptions about being identical twins? And I'm asking this for myself too, because I grew up thinking a lot of things about identical twins that I know now aren't true. Like you can read each other's minds or like you always act the same <laughs> or like you basically have the same personality until I actually became pretty good friends with twins that played baseball. And I was like, oh, these guys could not be more different. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you've come across as identical twins? I mean, you nailed, you nailed the first one, the reading each other's minds things. I feel like, yeah. I think there, I think there is definitely like Chelsea will, will say that, you know, when we first started writing together with her, she would be in the room with us and she would just be like, wow, like these guys are really on the same page with, like we wouldn't have, we don't, we wouldn't have to talk about certain changes we were thinking or I think there is like definitely a, a level of where like, there's like some, something to be said about twins being on the same page. And especially when like twins like Max and I, we spent pretty much our whole lives together. No, no, you, know? you have spent yeah. your whole yeah, lives pretty, together. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, we went to the same literally. high school, yeah, the same literally. college, we're in the same band, you know, all that, all the same bands growing up and everything. So we have spent a ton of, ton of time together. But uh, I don't know. What are, other, what are some other? Mm, I mean, uh, yeah, that's true. I think, uh, I don't know. Pe- people think that, you know, you are, like the same person, you know, there's, there, there is a lot of that. Um, but I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, I think for me, it's been an interesting experience. Um, 
being uh, a, a twin. I mean, I don't know anything else, but you know, we've always had the same friends and most of the same friends. I think like, I guess like the most challenging thing for me as a twin was, uh, you know, when you have like the same identity as someone and then you are, when you're, when you're different and in certain ways, I guess, like, I don't know what, where I'm getting at, but I mean, like, uh, I don't know, I guess like the, the biggest difference between Spencer and I, that really kind of made us, that brought us a lot closer together and kind of, kind of helped eliminate any kind of competitive nature that we had between us was when, when I told Spencer I was gay, when I was after high school, that was kind of like a big, not like a big turning point for us, but I think that, I think that maybe changed a lot of people's minds about us just being like the the same person, you know, I think that was like a big enough change where, you know, friends and family maybe realize, oh, Max and Spencer really aren't the same, (laughs) you know. They do. And they do have distinct personalities. I mean, they don't, they're definitely a little bit different personality wise, for sure. Yeah. I saw uh, Max, you opened up a little bit about coming out in the piece for the Washington Blade, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was obviously very courageous and and interesting for me too, because I have two other brothers, one older, one younger, and we're all straight. And I couldn't imagine like having that conversation with my brother. I guess I I can, but I I don't know how I would respond to it if I thought, if he, I assumed he was one way his whole life. And then he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. From your perspective, how did you get to the point where you felt comfortable having that conversation? You know, honestly, I think a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with just like music. I think like Spence and I have always been, we, we've always like put music kind of like that. That's like been our whole identity. And when we were younger, we were, we got kind of swept up in a, in like a management contract and we were, we were kind of geared in a certain direction musically as like being like this more like pop rock band. And, you know, I was like, I was singing more of the lead, the lead vocals at the time. So it was, there was just like a ton of pressure and, and kind of like being like the, the, you know, the singer of this, of this band. And there were clearly, I mean, things were different 10 years ago too, in terms of openness about, you know, you know, um, there weren't like any young LGBT like icons, I feel like in the music world, really. Anyways, I mean, I think there was a lot of, I felt a lot of pressure to like not come out just based on, you know, the music and like our fans and stuff. And, and that, that, that was one thing. But I think when we got to college and Spence and I kind of, we kind of broke out of the, the cycle we were in with music and kind of cut ties with, with people that we, you know, toxic people and that we've been working with. And, um, not that there was like a ton of toxic relationships, but just the people that, you know, kind of had a different uh, idea of what we were, who we wanted to be. And I think when, when, for me, when I kind of lost all this pressure and like the stress to, to kind of be, be this artist or whatever, I think that kind of allowed me to just really kind of open up and pretty quickly when, when Spence and I kind of started writing music that we were really believing in and didn't feel all this outside pressure. I think that, that really helped me to just to be able to tell Spence. And he was, he was the first person I told. And I was extreme, you know, obviously extremely nervous because he's no, knows me better than anyone else, but he was, you know, there was not even a, a doubt, like a, a moment. How old were you when you told I, him? I was, uh, I was 19. Sounds like kind of the, 
release of pressure to conform to a certain artistry or to conform in the music industry kind of bled over into your identity and made you more comfortable? Yeah, you just made it sound a lot, a lot more poetic. But yeah, that's that's pretty much that's that's kind of that's kind of how it, how it went. And then uh, after I had Spencer's support, then it was just kind of a process. I think Chelsea was like the third person I told, and so I just you know coming out to my friends and family, and thankfully I have such a supportive family, and I haven't you know had any really. I don't think I've lost any friends or had any really negative reactions. And if you did lose friends over that, then you're probably better off yeah. anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. So for Spencer, I'm sure we have people listening who have had conversations like that or are going to have conversations like that. From your end, how did you respond to that? First of all, I, I, I know Max so well. And it was pretty amazing that I didn't even, I had no idea that Max was gay until he told me. And just remember, like we were driving to Richmond and um, to visit our cousins, and he was like, "Yo, I got to tell you something." We were actually leaving a concert, and we had that we had just been out with Chelsea. It was just like we were watching a band, and when we left, he like was I could tell he was like really shaken up, and like the first thing I I like guessed I was just like, "Did you kill someone? Like, did you murder? Like, it was something like that." Like, yeah, are we about to bury someone? Yeah, right. I, I literally was like, "Yo, I got your back." Like, what the hell? What the hell happened? Yeah, here? no but, one will ever find out. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first guess, and then my second guess was, "Are you in love with Chelsea?" Um, because you know, a couple of years before that, like, like I, I, I don't know. I just thought that like we had just been with Chelsea and we're all like super close. And I thought that was like something that was weighing on him or something. And I wasn't, we were just friends with Chelsea at this point. But anyways, the, the third time I, he couldn't really even speak. So that's why I, I kept asking him what was wrong. And then I asked if he was gay, I guess it just kind of hit me. And I mean, it was just like such a surprise, but at no, at no time that I feel at all like angry or any, you know, upset at all. I, I was just like, I felt the relief too, like immediately. And and then, you know, just the rest of the, the drive, like we, I was just kind of, you know, he was clearly like shaken up. I was shaken up too, but just for him to release that enormous secret that he'd been holding his whole life, like you could just feel it. And yeah, just, was, had, just had like my hand on his chest and just like, we were just, you know, like, yeah, uh, yeah, it was just like this really incredible experience for me. Probably like the most, one of the most powerful, you know, just life changing things where you just think something is one way and then it's not. So. But I think like if you're listening out there and you want some advice, it's just like, you know, I think if you really care about somebody, you kind of know how to react and you don't really have to question it. You just have to be supportive and, and listen. And it wasn't like, I kind of, I feel like you just sort of know what to do in that, in that situation if you care about the person. Yeah. And to get that type of support right off the bat had to have meant a lot. Oh yeah. Because... You know, I'm sure from uh, Max's end, you, you kind of build things up in your head and you kind of have the conversation before it actually happens. And you're like imagining all these things. And then once your brother's like, okay, like, I love you. All like nothing changes. Like we're still have the same relationship. It's got to be a huge relief. For sure. Yeah. And and truthfully, it wasn't even, I think I knew Spencer was going to be, ex- you know, accepting. And that that part of me telling him was like, Obviously, very nervous about how I'd react, but more, even more than that, it's just like 
deciding that you're going to share that part of yourself or, or like step out and like, you know, like be an openly gay person like that, that, that was like, I think that's probably the, just like the, 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 the bigger fear for, for a lot of people. I mean, at the same time, <laughs> I, I live in a very fortunate area and I kind of, I'm actually going to take that back for certain, for certain people or, you know, where you live, it can be way more terrifying, like a, a way truer reality, like to feel like your life is in danger for, for coming out. But, but for me, at least it wasn't, you know, it was more just like accepting that within myself. And then, but yeah, Spencer, that was definitely was, was, was perfect. Chelsea as well. And I'm very, very fortunate to have the support that, that I had back then. And, today too so and so to transition from the the fraternal relationship in the in the group to the marital relationship <laughs> in the group, first i want to say congrats on you guys getting married thank last you. fall october yes, yes. october yeah congratulations thank That's you thank beautiful. you so much yeah so max who has been the better wingman over the years <laughs> Chelsea, oh, I have sucked as a wingman. I feel like I feel I, yeah. I get too I get too nervous for for Max. I'm like how you know? Yeah, it doesn't help that Chelsea goes to bed at nine thirty every night too. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. Like, not a lot of opportunities. Do you want to go out to a bar? She hasn't gone um, to many gay bars. Let's put it that way, but. But no, Chelsea. I've gone to a couple. She's gone to a few. She's, <laughs> she's like I've been to. Yeah, she's she's uh, but no, Chelsea. Chelsea's a great wingman. I mean. I'd say I'm going to go with Chelsea. I'm going to say Chelsea's probably a better wingman than Spencer. Although the, the twin thing is interesting. I think it like throws people off maybe a little bit. If like you see two dudes walking up to you and at, at, a, at a gay bar that look the same. Yeah. I don't know. What makes Chelsea a better wingman? I'm going to get personal. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> well, she's like a very a, attractive, um, not that Spencer's not attractive, but I think like the, the um, Chelsea has like a very bubbly, personality and she I think she's I think she's really charming and she comes off as like maybe like a little shy around new people but yeah she plays the shy card she plays she plays the shy card very well and and uh and uh yeah I guess I don't know I think not not to uh, make excuses over here but I think also you gonna defend yourself yeah uh, no no I'm not gonna say I'm the better you can defend yourself you get you get a response yeah I get a response I think like Max and I spend so much time together that when he's going to meet people and, you know, find someone that he wants to date or even just hang out. I feel like a lot of times we just want that space because we're just yeah. together all the time. That's true. You know what I mean? Like it's more, yeah. it's more him just wanting to, to meet yeah. people. When Spence and Chelsea have, I mean, we're with each other like 99% of the time. So like if there's like a night where we have a free night off, I think Chelsea and Spencer Usually, you know, they'll, they'll have some much needed space and I will as well. I'll kind of go out and, which is nice about living like, you know, right in the DC areas. I mean, it is like a really super, there's tons of, you know, LGBTQ people here. And it's, there's like a really strong, strong community that, that I'm kind of, you know, now that we're, we have a place and I'm not on tour, I'm, I'm definitely kind of trying to take advantage of that and meet, meet new people in the community and, and everything. So trying to figure out ways to get more involved and like give back too. So that's also like on our, on our radar is how to kind of use our platform to, to kind of help. So we're working on that right now. So for Spencer and Chelsea, how have you guys been able to navigate the business and personal relationship? Cause I, I saw you guys have been dating 
for quite a while before you got married. And I'm curious yes. because both my parents are still married and I hope continue to be married. And they started a business together 30 years ago, wow. which is still existing. What, are they, what do they do? They provide pediatric therapy, so speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy for kids. Oh, cool. Wow. Oh Amazing. And they started 30 years ago. And I kind of got to see the the blossoming of it from a kid's perspective as they got more successful. But I also saw some of the ways that they weren't able to turn off the business stuff when they got home and some of the conflicts that came with that. From your side and the in the music industry, how have you learned to navigate that like on off switch of personal business creative? If there is one, it might all just blend into one. I think that instead of trying to separate them, we try to, you know, just kind of have fluidity within the business and the personal. We spend so much time working on music and it's so much a part of our day. I mean, even if we go out on a date, we're still end up talking about some kind of music related thing. So I think that it's trying to not block it off and be like, okay, we're not talking about music anymore because sometimes we have ideas and, you know, in the middle of the night or like some, we just have a lot of creatively, a lot of stuff going on. So I think it's more like, okay, here's the business. We're going to work on doing vocals for, you know, a couple hours, but not, you know, making it so sterile, like, and same with Max, like Max is, is my best friend essentially. So we really just try to always be in that mode. And I think it actually makes us work better together. And we always try to, you know, and, and when we do have off days, like Max said, we, we try to do something special for us too, or as a group, we all try to go out to dinner or something. And I think it's really just, just understanding that we're all, we all live together. Uh, We're all doing this together and it's an incredible opportunity for us. I think that people also have like a really weird uh, reaction to us all living together. What do people usually say when you tell them that you live together? People are like, honestly, it makes me so mad, but people are like, (laughs) do you all live together? Like even after you got married, like that's so weird. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. I mean, people, yeah. yeah, After uh, the marriage. Yeah, after we got married, people are like, like, so when is Max moving out? And we're like, he's not. (laughs) Because I mean, uh, our the studio is the biggest room in our house where we spend so much time here. We're, um, we're in we right have now. been a unit for so long. Yeah. Well, you said you spend ninety nine percent of the time together already. So yeah, ninety nine point yeah. nine. I mean, even before we moved in together, we were spending so much time together. And I think that people just don't understand that don't don't think that is possible mm-hmm. to have like a relationship. And I think that Max being gay has has definitely helped this be like a really interesting, healthy relationship where we can all kind of thrive and there's no, um, yeah, there's no competition, or like romantically for anything. But yeah, people are And so, financially, it saves on rent. Right. right. <laughs> it's expensive out in these parts. That is, that is definitely yeah, a and, huge factor. Yeah, and we, I mean, like so much of our day is centered around being with each other that it doesn't make sense any other way unless like, Unless, you know, the house next door is for sale and we can make a big compound or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I think that people are really kind of turned, not turned off, but um, they're like so unbelievably shocked that we all live together and it's so non-traditional. Usually, but there's usually yeah. older people too. But, I mean, there's nah. also a lot of people, you know, that, that understand it and like all of our friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like our friends, I mean, 
We have all of the same friends and it's just like, we, we come as a trio and our friend, and it's just so funny. Like when we go to hang out with our friends, it's all three of us. And we, you know, we go places together a lot. And so we, we are certainly a trio. And I was saying, I was saying the other day that we were a threesome. No, we are not a threesome. A tripod or threesome or trio. You have to pick one term, one terminology. Yeah. So, um, so our business and, you know, our personal lives are so intertwined that it just, it's just our life. Yeah. You, say intertw- you sound like you said inter- intertwined for a second. Intertwined, yeah. intertwined, you know, whatever. I mean, the personal and the, and the business is kind of like, I mean, like the personal is, I guess, like our relationships, but for on the music side, the actual creativity, the creation, the, that whole side of it, like the writing and stuff is, that's almost more of the, of the personal as well. And then the, the only real business side of it is the actual, you know, logistics, you know, booking flights or, you know, having to worry about, you know, paying, paying rent and like, or, you know, just there's so traveling. traveling and like, you know, coordinating with, with sound people and, and all that stuff like that, that is, that's stressful, but the, yeah. just the create, the creative part of it is like that, that is like a huge part of our personal relationships, obviously. So it's, yeah. I was going to say living all three of you under the same roof must be more conducive to the creative process as well. Cause you were saying if you're eating dinner or you think of a idea in the middle of the night, you can just be like, yo, let's go down to the studio. So yeah, having 100%. to travel to each other's house and or wherever you're living, you could just hop right down to the studio in your underwear yeah. and just make music. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens yeah. a lot, honestly. And it, it really takes um the pressure of having to like rent a studio, having to, you know, um pick times, you know, kind of center your day around having to find a space. It's really nice because for me personally, I I work better, you know, in the morning and during the day. And these guys sometimes work better at night. And so I'll I'll go to bed and they'll be finishing stuff up all night. And it's, we have just, each day is different and it's nice to have a space that can support us. Yeah. I feel the same way. I feel like for me, at least I feel more creative in the morning. Like I have a four hour spurt from maybe nine to one where I can right. creative, I could just like be in the zone creatively. And then if I can, I try to put the administrative work, sending emails or just responding to people on social media, things like that. I try to put that later in the day when my brain's kind of fried, but I could still yeah. just yeah. send things out and it's not really uh-huh. creative. It's just like, I'm just kind of pumping things out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Chelsea, I hear you are a bit of a cook. I am a cook. Uh, I do <laughs> cook a lot. I'm not a chef. People are like, you're a chef. No, I just, um, I. it's funny because, you know, living before, before we moved in with each other, we were kind of hopping around Airbnbs. We were touring. We were, you know, going back to our parents' house, you know, for little spurts of time. And I never really got to cook, except sometimes when we were at the Airbnb. So coming to the house, it's so much fun to to cook for these guys. And I, this sounds so nerdy, but I, um, I like to go to the library and check out like thirty cookbooks. And oh just my god, this podcast look. is over. <laughs> look through the cookbooks and just like get find inspiration through that I, I feel like for me that's a huge inspiration because you know I'll, we'll be working on music stuff all day and then I get to be creative in the kitchen as well and I get to try new things we were vegetarian or pescatarians I guess for the past five or six years and 
we just started eating chicken again. So it has totally like flipped the world upside down with, yeah. uh, I, I feel like I've become a bit obsessive about chicken, but it's, uh, there's so many things you can do with chicken. So cooking has been really, really fun. And that's just a fun thing for me to do because, um, you know, it, it allows me to be creative kind of individually. And Chelsea had um, read in like 30 cookbooks and then we went on tour. Oh, at the library. Yeah, at the I library. Yeah. She, uh, <laughs> she forgot to return them. And I was we kind of like put it off and we went to the library the other day and the fine was literally like $70. Damn. Just a hefty library expense. Fee. Yeah. You, you just uh, kept yeah. that library in business for at least another two years. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I learned my lesson on that, but but. Uh, but it's, really, I'm sure it was worth it. I'm sure the, it the was worth it. The knowledge and the experience was more than seventy dollars. It sounds like. And the things that we cooked, you know, will last a lifetime. Will last a lifetime. No, but I mean, we're saving money by cooking here, not going out. What are your favorite things to cook? Because I just bought an instant pot, so I'm pretty much a professional chef now. Oh, so did we! We, we just, just bought, bought one too, like a week ago. Um, well, for me, uh, we make uh, fresh pasta, and so love making fresh pasta. And then um, the noodles and everything. The noodles, sauce. and then I make pasta sauce, just like a basic. Do you make it in the instant pot, or do you boil the pasta? We don't use the instant pot. Oh, you don't use the Instant Pot? No, we don't use it. We use the Instant Pot. We've only done it a couple of things in it. We did like chili and uh, like a green chicken. No, but I'll... I'll um, give, him a, give him a little breakdown of how you, make the, how you make the pasta. Yeah, please. Okay, so for the sauce... I'm about to go to Trader Joe's. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, too. For the sauce, <clears throat> it's just really easy. It's just um, crushed. A, a can of crushed tomato. It's a red chili pepper flakes, and then it's um, four cloves of garlic. And then you just have that cook for a couple hours. And the then garlic first, right? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Yes, yes. I'm not going to do like a, a step-by-step of the sauce. But yeah, just olive oil, garlic. You have to come to the show to get the secret recipe. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like so simple. It's It's not even worth talking about, but the pasta is really fun. For our wedding, we got a KitchenAid pasta maker. So we've been making the dough and then doing the linguine, which has been really, really fun because we'll have people come over to our house and they will help make the noodles and it's like a fun thing. So Italian, love cooking Italian food because that's some of my favorite. Um, I love Mexican food. So I make uh, I make enchiladas oh, yeah. a lot, make fish tacos a lot. I mean, food is our house. Our entire lives are surrounded by food, tour included. As it should be. Food is so As it good. should be. We, uh, <laughs> we, we wake up in the morning and I'll make a big breakfast. And then we'll get in the studio. We'll work throughout the day. We might have lunch and then we have a big dinner uh, usually. And it's kind of a break for us. You know, we try to make dinner together for all hanging around. Um, we try to just, I try to make them chop stuff and and help make a salad and stuff. And then we have, you know, dinner and get to listen to new music, you know, share music that we like and are listening to during dinner. And then it's fun trying new things. And I'm like really overselling this cook thing. Well, but, you're, uh, you're welcome. Anytime you're in DC, come over for Yeah, come over for dinner. Yeah. Of course. And we probably have a bunch of culinary amateurs like myself listening to this podcast so I'm sure they appreciate it. <laughs> oh I'm an amateur too for sure I mean I, I still 
it's funny, you know, cooking chicken again, I, I, don't, I feel like I've perfected in a sense fish and like vegetables and stuff. Cause that's been our go-to for all these years. But now trying to cook chicken is a whole other ball game. And I've just been crapping out on every chicken dish. The pot is great for chicken. That's what I use it for pretty much. Yeah, no, we, we made a vegetarian chili in there the other day. And then we made the Greek chicken, which was good. But the chicken was cooked perfectly, but everything else was kind of wacko. So I'm trying to figure out the, the Instant Pot thing. So one package of chicken thighs from Trader Joe's takes me about 12 minutes in the Instant Pot to cook thoroughly. And and I just like season it with whatever you want. Uh, put a little bit of olive oil. I think in the directions, it says put water in the bottom of the Instant Pot or some water. I feel like the chicken has enough moisture in it where it's just going to be semi water in the pot anyway. So I just put a little bit of olive oil seasonings, throw it in for 12 minutes. My older brother's girlfriend taught me how to do it. So I can't take credit, but... Amazing. Yeah, somehow perfectly. It makes me feel like I'm an actual chef. Well, it's so funny because we got... Okay, so we got the Instant Pot, but we've only been using the slow cooker method. We haven't even been using like the pressure cooker vibe. You got to put it on pressure. That's what I use. Yeah, yeah. We need need to do that because I saw... I saw in the instructions that you can cook an entire like chicken. I don't know if it's like a big chicken or, you know, a, like a Cornish hen or whatever those things are called in yes. like five minutes or something. It was insane. I was like, okay, we need to figure this out. That's good to know though. 12 yeah. minutes in the pressure cooker that came out tender. Yeah. 12 minutes. Yeah. It comes out <laughs> tender. It's And when you have it on pressure cook, it will turn off, but still keep it warm. And so uh, all the steam uh. takes about like eight minutes to let out. Or if you're in a rush, you, you could just flick that little top and it just starts spewing yeah. out steam. <laughs> like I'm sure you burn my it, was, it was funny because we, we bought a, an air mattress when we were at Walmart, when we were on tour with the intention of returning it. And literally they wouldn't take it back unless for store credit. It was like the first time, I guess we're so used to Amazon taking anything back really. So we, not that, we had not like, that we like incessantly. Yeah, I know, but yeah. Well, we just, but anyways, yeah, yeah. it was just like, damn, now we got like a hundred bucks to spend at Walmart. What are we going to get? And then we were like, okay. Well, it was funny because we were all eating breakfast and I was like, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? I was like, you know, it'd be really good if I could make some, if we had like a crock pot, it'd be so cool. And so then I was like, wait, we have that Walmart gift card. So we all did like a field trip to the Walmart. <laughs> and these guys are so obsessed with uh, reviews, reviews for restaurants, reviews for products, reviews for everything. So they spent 25 minutes looking up each review for each Instant Pot and Crock Pot in Walmart, <laughs> which was like 30 of them. And um, there's, there's so many there's models of the Instant Pot. There's so yeah. many to choose from. I mean, it's from like, oh my God, it's so overwhelming. Yeah. There, yeah, so we got a good one. Which, oh, yeah, anal- or paralysis by analysis, whatever people say. There's a lot of different <laughs> There's uh yeah 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 we spend like we we had like a hundred dollar gift card and we spend like twenty minutes looking for this and then Chelsea like was like I'm just gonna go grab a little like meat thermometer and she like just grabbed one we she comes up to the check and now we're like like Chelsea how much was this one she was like she's like two bucks we're, like we're, like did you look at any of the reviews and she was like no <laughs> yeah that's how it's so much on the you gotta check at least ten reviews before you pull it yeah, yeah. It, had, it had literally the worst reviews of any yeah, any thermometer I've, I've ever seen in my life. That's like, so we were there for another 20 minutes looking for a thermometer. Oh, we sound crazy. But. Yeah, we are crazy. So that's fine. I'm, 
equally or more crazy. And we've had crazy guests on this, this podcast, so it's all good. So to change gears a little bit to the your view of success or maybe other people's view of your success, from the outside, people may see you guys as a band that has had smooth sailing and and things have blown up with the success of the the Melt EP and and Trampoline and that everything's been kind of this smooth ride. And if you feel comfortable going into it, what are some of your biggest anti-home run moments or like fuck up moments you had as a band where maybe at the time you saw there was no fix or no way out of it, but you still had to get through it somehow? Yeah. Yeah. I feel more like, um, so we have, we've been doing this for, for a bit. Shade has been three and a half years now and people see that trampoline was on a commercial. They're like, wow, like this is like, so overnight, this is so, it's like, no, we've been, you know, we've been working at this for, for a long time. And before, before shade, right? Yeah. Even before shade, like we've been in bands, we've been, we've been, you know, so it's we were working together too a bit, yeah. and, and like some of the lowest points were, I mean, you know, we did like a couple like cover shows, you yeah, know, we were playing like three and a half, which was like four shows. four hours, three three oh, and a half, yeah. four hours of covers at like a bar for nobody. I mean, a low point for Max and I was we were Chelsea was supposed to come to the the show and do this New Year's Eve party with us, but she <laughs> got like super. Like she, I think she got food poisoning. I got the twenty-four hour bug or something. So Max and I had to go cover and this cover is while you guys her. were shade or this is this was no, before no, no, shade. No, no. This was before shade. This was many years ago. Yeah. This was before shade, and we, Max and I had to go and sing covers at this New Year's Eve party at this. It was called a Cougar Bar, and there was just like well, it wasn't. It wasn't called. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't called a Cougar Bar. It was. We're not going to name the. We're not going to name the restaurant, but it was like uh, a quote unquote unquote. It was a straight bar. bar, yeah. We were, and people you know. were just like, you know, they were all making out, and then they they actually told us to stop, and they put on a DJ. So that that was pretty dark. Because we were we were playing. Um, Someone in the we crowd doing... told you stop, or the venue told you to stop. No, the, the owner. It was, the, the, yeah. the, it was owned by like four dudes, like in their like, you know, sixties, sixties, and I don't know. I, I I feel it was it was just a strange environment. Like there's. They're all making out at the bar, and yeah, the cover shows. Yeah, the, the, the cover the shows are dark. strange to begin with. Yeah, 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 it was just a you know when you get told that you're not making the cut and you're uh, <laughs> playing, playing covers, other people's songs, playing yeah. covers that had New Year's Eve your bar. That that's kind of that's kind of that was kind of a low. Well, the thing was, we so you know we been friends for forever, and we were another band, or these guys were another band, and I kind of came in after being a solo artist and I was on a major label and uh, got out of that deal. And I kind of came into this band and I was like, Hey guys, you know, can I come in? And it was, um, they were doing a, a little bit more Americana folk. So we, to supplement these gigs that we were getting every now and then original gigs, we were doing these cover gigs and they were totally dark and, I mean, you know, you had your fun, your fun moments. It wasn't like horrible. Yeah, no, no, and the, no. And the, money, of the money was pretty good, you know. No, no, but no, no. Of, was, of course. He, and if we didn't do those, we wouldn't be here now, you know. Yeah. But I think like the most mm-hmm. stressful times were just trying to figure out, you know, you know, like we, we you know, we put out music. We're building a fan base in in DC as as a, a different band, 
the walking sticks. You know, it's, it's on Wikipedia. Yeah. We've like been, you know, trying to like delete. No, it's not. an unplug. We've tried to like, you know, like delete all the videos on YouTube and stuff. And I think they're all gone. But anyways, that, that was the project we were in. And we were building a, a following here in DC. And we were like so thankful for that. But it was like getting to like that next kind of a threshold where you're kind of getting out. Like we tried to book our own tour. That was a low point. We tried to, oh my cause God. we were, you know, we were, we were building a following in DC oh, and people so were, we were having some fans and we were like, we're like, man, we really just got to get on tour and play, play in these new cities. So we tried to book our own tour and we're like in Charlotte, North Carolina, literally playing for the sound guy who is like watching a hockey game and not even mixing us. And there's like Chelsea's, Chelsea's like, uh, like relatives, like, like in the, in the venue and like all the lights are on and we're like, like, oh my God, this is just, you know. It's just yeah, we had, so it was, it was interesting because we, we thought that we could do it on our own. Like we thought, hey, like we, we can play like a, you know, a decent size venue in, in DC. We'll just, and again, this was this was years ago, we were but, naive. but we were very naive to think that like, like, we'll just call up the venues, like these small venues and get, you know, yeah. and they'll promote it. And we somewhere, would go, yes. Everyone's got yeah. yeah. And we yeah. would go there and it would just be like, damn, there's nobody here. And we didn't even do that many dates. We probably did like three or four dates. And it just was like really um, kind of sad because we were yeah, like, we thought that that we really thought that we could with enough promotion, and you know, we were going out before the show. Like we had a show in Asheville, we were going, you know, taking to the streets, and we were like giving people flyers, yeah, like come to the show. Like no one came. Yeah, back. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, in addition to the musical low points too, just like the type of jobs and stuff we had to work before we were, were able to oh, do yeah. this, this full time. There were some definite low points there too. What are the worst or weirdest jobs that you had to work? <laughs> you guys have had the weirdest. Max and I, Chelsea, Chelsea had like a. Chip. I had a great job. I was a preschool music teacher, and oh wow, I went to school for early childhood education. I, I that my only job I've had, other than a receptionist, one summer was working at preschool. So I loved my yeah. job. You taught lessons too though. So yeah, lessons. but they had the funniest jobs. I We had a couple weird we had ones. a couple weird ones. Like we we also did all these weird jobs together too. We we because we had like one car and we were like shit, we gotta do the same kind of stuff. So we did we worked on a um an ice cream an ice flavor ice truck <laughs> called Kona Ice. I'll throw him under the bus. <laughs> and uh and um it didn't last long but it was like um Karim, uh, Calypso it was it was like electronic uh, Mar- it was like Mario Kart music like you know on repeat for like six hours shifts you know like, while you were in this ice truck while we we're in this ice cream truck Just and getting beat over the head with Mario Kart themes beat over yeah. the head with it and as a musician too it's I mean just it's horrible for anyone but you know when you have the same melodies you're trying to go home and write music and all that you have stuck in your head is just like I was gonna say you probably still have a little bit of Mar- Mario PTSD. Whenever you hear these, <laughs> it's like brings me back I, to a really bad place. It's true. It's it's too bad too because I I love like in six like you know Mario Kart and sixty four and sixty four version. Yeah, that that job was just that was a weird one. That was really the worst one. We did like a road crew job for like we literally lasted not very long, like a weekend. Uh, but that was like you know just Spencer and I studied environmental science and we thought like you know we could get a 
environmental science job, like on the side of music, which was already like just not not a good idea. But we were just kind of glorified uh, trash pickup dudes, <laughs> you know. We thought we were like going to be providing insight on like removing invasive species along the highway, and really we were just you know we had pesticide. Ghostbuster backpacks on and Spencer and I are just like spraying stuff and we're like, all right, we can't, we can't do this. That's a testament to you guys though for sticking it out and going through all those weird jobs and what the, the, the ice Mario hell sounds like <laughs> and, uh, environmental pickup job and getting told to stop playing at a, a cougar venue. I feel like most people would have given up at one of those stops you guys are still together and that's a testament to whatever the the drive or, or the the moments that have brought you together where you decided as a crew to just embrace the process and whatever comes of it comes of it and obviously that breakthrough moment has come at least from a listener's perspective because you like you said you had the commercial on Apple Music you have your own headline tour you're playing all these festivals that people love to go to and i guess none of that would have happened without those shittier moments yeah absolutely and i think that it's made us made us like so appreciative and so thankful for this for everything i mean cuz we we really like i said we we can't can't do anything else, you know, other than music. This do. is all we want to do. This is all we can do. So now to be able to do all these really fun and amazing things is is very cool for us. So to go into Trampoline, which is a huge success, and I love the song, and it has over 90 million combined streams, I think, last time I, I checked. How do you follow that up? without trying to recreate or manufacture what that song was. Because I feel like a lot of artists or just any anyone that's working in the in a creative industry or lane, if you have that type of success, it's very tempting to put together the same elements and kind of reproduce it. How, how have you approached the creative process and the aftermath of that success? Not that this single is over, it's still a huge success, but like in in the aftermath of the the creative period on your guys' end, how have you handled that? For us, Trampoline, when we wrote it, we didn't think it was going to blow up by any means. We also didn't, you know, pin it as a an alternative track necessarily, but it's doing amazing on alternative radio. You know, it's one of our more left of center songs. So going forward, we're kind of like, um, we're just trying to write as much as possible. And we're not trying to write for any for anything other than just doing our normal writing process. We're not trying to be like, this would be perfect on radio. We're trying to be conscious of that for sure. But I feel like we're just still writing to write. The fact that it wasn't like we didn't we hadn't we didn't pin it for a single, like even our label, they really dug it. But I mean they no one really thought that it was gonna do what it did and it it is uh a little bit a little more left to center for that EP and I think if anything, it's I think it's just given us like more confidence to be more experimental and mm-hmm. more creative and just like do something more out of more out of the box and instead of instead of having the opposite effect of like, oh, we you know, we we need to try and recreate something like this. So and I think a lot of people there is something to say about like inspiration hitting you and stuff like that, but 
for us, it's just about the, the way we rode trampoline was when we moved into this house, we were just writing every day. And, um, you know, we just had like a process of getting in the studio, you know, after like Chelsea made an awesome breakfast and like, we just wrote the song in our studio and wrote the lyrics sitting outside. And, and, um, all we're trying to do now is just like, just do it again. Yeah. Just keep going into the studio. And, and like you said, like trying to find inspiration in other places too. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine having something reach that many people and then kind of like detaching yourself. I don't know if detaching is the right word, but just like releasing it out into the world and whatever it is, it is because at least on the the podcasting end, when I'm putting out episodes, it's so tempting to see, oh, this episode got X number of streams and it's nowhere near 90 million, but it it's like, oh, this one is getting the most first week streams. So I have to ask the same questions to the next person I did with this person, or I have to kind of create the same vibe or reach out to a similar type person and recreate that success. So a lot of times I have to take a step back and just realize that what I enjoy most out of it is like actually being in the moment right now, having these conversations and then just putting it out there. And however it does, it does. I can't really control that. And there's definitely pressure. I mean, pressure to have another song follow up, but it's for us, it's not necessarily having the next trampoline, but having the next great song. So we're trying um, we're just trying really hard to to keep writing and we have a bunch of songs that we're really excited about. Yeah. And it's exciting just like, you know, on the flip side, like there's like a positive feeling too of like, hey, you know, trampoline reached so many people, like hopefully with this next song, like there's more people that are paying attention. So it's just like if you look at it from that angle too of hey, like what song do we really want to just share with people and mm-hmm. next and and um kind of try to remind yourself of that. Yeah. And I hope the next song does as well or better than Trampoline. But even if it, and better, I mean, in terms of streams and numbers like that, if you want to measure it that way, but even if it doesn't, the next song or next album that you put out may be a stepping stone towards another project that does, like has that wide mass effect on people and you wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to get to there again without the songs in between. So I think about that a lot too. Like these conversations are necessary as a part of my personal growth process, no matter how many people listen to it on the outside. Cause like the the future conversations kind of go off of the process. Yeah, Yeah. no, the process. That's also at the end of the day, like the success of trampoline is, and and the EP and everything is allowing us to keep making music as a full-time thing. And that is like such a, such a blessing. And, and um, so, I mean, we're just, so thankful for that, that we get to continue to, you know, just do this for a full-time thing. I don't want to underestimate that either because it is such a small slice of people that make music that are able to make a full-time living off of it. So it's just incredible that you guys have been able to pay the bills and more with the success that you've had because not a lot of people, like, well, most people that pick up the guitar or the keys, whatever it is, never get to that point. So it's pretty incredible when people do. So to wrap up, I had a couple questions, quick fire questions that I usually ask a lot of our guests. I'm at these. We're, hor- we're, we're horrible at these, but we'll try. No, I love these. I love I, these. I've gotten some interesting answers. There's really no wrong answer for these. So I, and I'm just interested personally what people say. So yeah, here goes. So the first one, I'm stealing this question from Tim Ferriss, by the way, who has his own 
podcast and I really like this question, but it is if you had to give a TED talk on an obsession unrelated to your job, unrelated to music, what would it be on? Pimple popping. <laughs> Pimple popping. Pimple popping. That's yeah. that would be a good TED talk, I feel like, because it's very it's very <laughs> visual and you'd have the whole PowerPoint. Yeah. You could even have a personal demonstration on stage, like uh Right, yeah. Like a super zoomed in. It's like so interesting. What is sorry, I'm, I'm like killing your rabbit fire. No, no. What is the obsession with pimple popping? That would be my no, that's definitely one that is shared shared by Chelsea. Well, like, what what is like why are people so obsessed? There's like a group of people that are so obsessed with pimple popping and like watching pimple popping videos and like I think it's because I believe it or not, I, I was having this sort of conversation yesterday. It wasn't directly related to pimple popping, but my cousin, my little cousin was trying to pull out her tooth. And but it was like it was loose anyway. But we were talking about how remembering the feeling of when you're pulling out your teeth where it's kind of like a little bit painful, but the relief once you get it out is so good that it's worth like that split second of like, it's kind of like, a, like you know you're causing yourself pain by doing it, but it's kind of feels good in a weird sadistic way. And then <laughs> once you get it out, it's, it's, uh, you're glad to have done it. So I feel like pimple popping may be on a similar plane where you know it's going to be a few seconds of uncomfortable pain or whatever it is. And then once the release happens, you're just like, oh, thank God. Like, that's kind of gross. Kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea, right. But Chelsea, Chelsea is never really popping her own pimples. She's trying to... Oh, so she has on you guys? She experiments on you guys? Not to get too graphic <laughs> over here, but... No, I won't. I won't Chelsea, just like come up... Chelsea, so Chelsea's not... Just my point is she's not really experiencing the... It's more... The, it's the more, yeah. And that she's more just... No, but it still is. It's still maybe as a relief. Yeah. She's more into the inflicting more, pain element. You stuff. could make an undercover pimple popping account and see what type of traction it gets. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, you, have you heard of... Yeah, yeah. Popper? That's what I was thinking of. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so she used one of our songs in one of our no videos. Way. And I... I I probably had a heart attack because I was like, oh my God. Were you more excited about that or the Apple commercial? Uh, <laughs> it's a close second to the Apple commercial. Close second. Um, I do. I was with her when, when she realized that it was in the Dr. Pimble Popper video. And like, I, I didn't know what she was watching, but she just like screamed so hard. It was like, like running around. I was like, I thought it was going to be this. I mean, it was pretty amazing, but. Her, her reaction was—it was, was like it was like they okay. thought that we had gotten the Apple commercial yeah, then. Good. Yeah, I thought we were like you going know? on tour with Coldplay. <laughs> that's pretty crazy, and and there was no reaching out on either end. She kind of just used it. Well, what happened was we did a um, a Vivo interview, and I had mentioned on there that I love Doctor Pimple Popper, and then I guess she had seen that and then used it. So she I was paying was, her respects. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. We're we'll good for the next question. So the last question I had for you guys was if you could be on a global broadcast for a few seconds and get one message out to the entire planet, but it can't be self promo. What would you want to say? It could be also like a picture to maybe a mantra or a quote it could be anything. You can take your time. I've had some interesting answers. Well, guys, it's your time to shine. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I feel like 
I don't know. My gut is like something like having to do with uh, climate change. I feel like there, you know, I feel like that's like the most imminent threat here to just, you know, the human species and all life on this planet. So I, I would recycle. <laughs> recycle. <laughs> no, it's hard to say like what that message would be on a broadcast that could Same. actually change something, but because it's, I know like it's, you know, it's getting tons of visibility, but. And it is. What? Oh, I have to actually, I actually, we actually have to think about what it is going to be. We might have to get back to you on that. It's like, I think so much <laughs> pressure. Like <laughs> My God. We, we'll, we'll send it to you and then you can, you can post it in the Chelsea or Spencer or anything for you guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm Max and I were both environmental science majors and I feel like I, yeah, also, I, yeah. I, I also feel, feel like it would have to be something to do with like, yeah, you know, agree climate sure. change or like just, yeah, just um, like renewable, like using renewable energy is they're like grow, trying to grow the renewable energy. I don't know, something, something along those lines, but Clearly, there's a reason why we're musicians and not. I mean, it's a pretty tough question to answer. I don't know. It took me a while to think of my response. So having the prior knowledge of asking about 20 different guests before I came up with my own response, I was listening to a podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. If you can tell, it's probably a good thing. But uh, this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, has a a business podcast and it's, it's kind of motivation. It's kind of like a demotivational podcast thing where it's not like super inspiring, but it tries to make you realize how much time you don't have left and like take advantage of the moment. He said that his message to people would be, you're going to fucking die. And that was it. And that kind of sounds really harsh, but I think that that mentality has had a big impact on me not waiting and putting things off that I want to do and trying to strike a balance between long-term planning and also just enjoying things while I'm happening and just trying to be there in the moment as much as possible I think it's had a pretty big impact I like that so that's maybe maybe ours would be instead of you're gonna fucking die we're all gonna yeah yeah exactly if we if we don't yeah right we don't or you know we're we're all gonna fucking die regardless be nice to each other and and you know we're all gonna fucking die have so. fun yeah that's a good one but we're all gonna fucking die no, no. <laughs> it needs to be we're all gonna fucking die unless we switch over to renewable energy how about that <laughs> uh. <laughs> well I want to say again thank you guys I think that's a great place to end off <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, of course. I, I love having these conversations. Like I was saying before, and this is really fun for me. And I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And I'm very appreciative for the music that you put out and the conversation today. And I can't wait to see what happens this summer and your upcoming projects. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. This yeah, we was had so a, fun. Yeah, we had a great time talking to you. Hopefully we can meet you uh Hopefully we can make you some pasta when you come to DC. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Once I have pasta, I can die. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Shade. Their EP Melt is out now everywhere, which you can find by searching Shade or visiting the links in the description of this podcast. What's your favorite song off of the EP? Mine is Melt. Let us know yours. 
If you love this podcast, you can help us in two ways. The first is you can tag us on Instagram and IG story, Twitter, Snap, Tumblr, MySpace, anywhere to let your friends know and the world know about Uggsworo and what we stand for, which is unfiltered, well-researched and interesting conversations about the moments that matter. We respond to everything and I promise we will get back to you. The second is that you can drop us a five-star rating, a comment and subscribe to us on the iTunes store. This helps more people see us in searches, which means more people will get to hear us. And this helps us continue to bring bigger and better conversations to you. And we love what we do. Until next time.